0: The following podcast is a Dear Media production.
1: Welcome to Raising Good Humans. I'm Dr. Aliza Pressman. And today I have founder and bestselling author Sunil Gupta, who is a visiting scholar at Harvard Medical School. And he helps people achieve sustainable peak performance with a completely different definition than you would imagine. By embracing simple habits to bolster emotional resilience and engagement. I loved our conversation. He has taken the beautiful lessons of everyday Dharma and turned it into really actionable ways to help raise our kids and to live our lives. Of course, if you enjoy this episode, don't hesitate to give it a five star rating and write a little review. If you have more complicated feedback, Just DM me on Instagram at Raising Good Humans Podcast, but I love getting the positive messages. And of course, please don't forget to pre-order The Five Principles of Parenting, Your Essential Guide to Raising Good Humans. Everyone, now is the time. It is so important to me to get this book out there. And you, exactly you, are the people that I wrote this for and also the people most likely to pre-order the book sight unseen because you know what I'm going to be delivering. And it helps me so much for you to order it now. And as a thank you, I have lots of little perks, like an early chapter and various live Zooms. Go to drlisa.com if you want to get the details or just order it wherever you like to order books. And I hope you are starting to really enjoy this holiday season. I have a couple topics that are top of mind, just sure. given what's been on the podcast and what where we are in the year and what's happening in the parenting zeitgeist. Sure. Because I think this is super aligned with science, which I think is so cool. The spirituality of this, if you just retranslated it into neuroscience, yes. you'd get Similar answers. Yeah. Which I love because I think it took decades, if not centuries, for science and spirituality to realize they were on the same team. Yeah. So I really love that about this book because there are so many, I, I call them constructs because of the way that my brain is just trained, but they're like these beautiful pillars and principles. And I think they highly align with things that are called something completely different and labeled as really neuroscience or psychology or something yeah. that you you brought very ancient ideas, constructs are the wrong word, <laughs> but I recognized them, and I thought that was really cool
0: I love that you know I mean, I think I really wanted to push on where this Eastern wisdom was finding an echo in Western science, and you know each of these principles or constructs, qualities. Very much had them, you know, and some of them led me to people like Doctor, you know, Doctor Frankel, you know, mm-hmm. Victor Frankel. But, but, but the others were, you know, Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi, author of Flow. But in every case, there was always sort of some kind of echo in Western science for these ideas that have been around for, you know, they've been around for millennia.
1: It's so wild, and it's just nice now because I think historically they, even though you mentioned you know victor frankl this is a long time ago yeah but i think ideas that were not accepted as science long ago are so so accepted now yeah but the wisdom that is so beautiful is just like usually separate from the science so mm-hmm. i don't know i just really loved that but what i what i wanted to ask you well first could you define dharma
0: yeah sure so dharma is your inner calling but my grandfather who first introduced dharma to me on a porch in new delhi Describe this as your essence. You know, this is this, this part of you that really wants to speak. And when you're expressing that essence, you come alive in a brand new way. You feel confident, you feel creative, you feel energized. And when you're not, you feel lost, you feel depleted. And I mean, so many of us are feeling that way right now. You know, I think you know, as, as you've talked about on the show, so much of what defines our own mental health is our work. It's what we do each day. And yet the vast majority of people aren't really enjoying what they do. And so this book is really about how do we start to bring some of that joy back into our work through this this ancient philosophy that has been proven out over thousands of years and has found its way from East to West, from ancient to modern.
1: So when I think about this book through the lens of parent, I mean, parenting is the word that we use, even though it's got its own problems, but through the lens of parenting, Helping our kids find their essence is a pathway for mental health, mm. of course. But helping our kids find their essence in a culture of achievement pressures and performance and the reality of, you know, college admissions and the reality of what is this world going to expect of us, mm. the unknown, mm. is really tricky. And helping our kids find their essence when we don't know what our essence is, mm. is really tricky. So. I want to just talk about ways that you've incorporated these ideas in your parenting.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, so what I do for a living is I go out and I study, you know, the highest performers. And I try to look at what happened to them during their lowest moments. And I translate that into my work as a researcher and my work as an author uh, and for audiences as well. The toughest audience by far is my kids. Mm -hmm. You know, (laughs) it's the one that I just, I trip up with the most. I question myself the most, but I think that the quality of Dharma is really about this idea that you are not your job, right? And yet so much of the way that we condition our children is what do you want to be? Mm -hmm. And the answer that we're expecting is a job title. Right. I want to be a doctor. I want to be a lawyer. I want, to, I want to be an accountant. You can't say, hey, I want to empower people to feel better about themselves, mm-hmm. maybe through the clothes they wear. It's like, I want to be a fashion designer, right? And I think that that really sort of puts us into a fixed path where if that thing doesn't happen, or if you sort of decide that that's no longer what you want it ends up being a lot of confusion. Essence goes beneath the occupation. It's, this, it's something that you love. It's, it's active. You know, it's, it's, I love to tell stories. I love to nurture people. I love to build and assemble things. And for every essence, there can be many, many different ways to express that. And I think if that's there's one thing that I'm really trying to get out of right now is this idea that just because when I was a kid, I was in this occupation mindset, Mm -hmm. my kids don't have to be. Because the reality is that they're probably going to change the way that they express themselves to the world over and over again. And when that happens, I don't want them to feel like something is wrong with them.
1: Yeah, you want them to feel loved for who they are and not... I had a mentor who always said you know you want your kids to feel loved for who they are and not the splendor of their accomplishments. Yeah. And I think in this world we can get confused especially when the definition of being when you grow up is a job.
0: Yeah. And then sure. we get
1: proud like we're proud of the answers that we might receive from the kids like oh that's you know those that those are big dreams that's great go for it and yeah. it's not that there's anything wrong with it. I think you also talk about that coming to terms with your essence is, in fact, you are more likely to achieve some of these goals than you would be if you were exclusively goal-oriented. Yeah. But that's confusing, and the only reason I would love for you to talk about it, well, I mean, there are many reasons, but the reason <laughs> that I want to highlight that is that sometimes it's a Trojan horse way in for parents to buy the idea of letting go of some of our ways of, promoting high achievement. Yeah. And knowing that, you know, it's not that what you're saying is in doing this, you can just sit at home in the basement until you're a (laughs) hundred. Although obviously we will, we love our children and that's the way it is. That's the way it is.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, one of the underpinnings of Dharma is this idea that there is a difference between outer success and inner success. And outer success is really, it is, it is achievement, it is status, it is wealth. It's a lot of the things that you know, other people will perceive us to be. And inner success is the only thing that you know. It's your joy, it's your meaning, it's your fulfillment. And while outer success is measured by the achievements you make, inner success is measured by the actions you take. Right? And the point of dharma isn't to shame outer success. Right. And I think that one thing that I see, you know, sometimes happen is that we live in a very black and white Mm -hmm. sort of way of looking at success. We may sometimes be tempted to reject our own ambition in order to feel more joy. And Then we sort of flip to the other side and say, well, wait a second, I want to, but I want to accomplish things. I want to Mm -hmm. achieve things. Does that make me a bad person? No, it doesn't at all. I think that it's not either or it's, it's definitely something that you can have both of. If you look at people who sort of start with inner success, they start with meaning, fulfillment and joy. It doesn't necessarily guarantee a path to outer success, but what it does do is it definitely lights you up in a way that we tend to associate with like people who end up achieving things. So the question isn't like how do you start to lower your own ambition or mm-hmm. start to reject <laughs> or renounce these achievements, but to say what is it that truly matters to me even if those things don't happen, right? And I think that's really the litmus test. You know, for you you're writing a book right, and you're about to publish a book and for me I've just published a book. I really had to answer the question of look Book publishing is kind of a crapshoot, yeah. right? I mean, most books don't necessarily break out to the top. I had to come to a, like, the answer to a very specific question, which is, if it doesn't, you know, from all classical means, become a high-achieving book, will this three-and-a-half-year journey still have been worth it? And if the answer to that is no, then I recommend don't do that. Don't invest in that. Go mm-hmm. find something that were the worth it equation. It, it adds up whether or not you hit the target.
1: Okay. It's that time of year where lots of presents, but also lots of time where you want your kids to not be on screens. So it is definitely the season for serious fun. KiwiCo delivers seriously fun hands-on projects that inspire a lifelong love for learning. And they are tested and approved by kids. So the crates do not leave without approval from their toughest critics kids the age the crates are suited to and it's a box of awesome delivered monthly so you can do this as a holiday gift or you can do it again because it's holiday time and you kind of need a little bit of freedom but you want your kids to do something other than be on screens and kiwi co projects are designed by a team of educators, makers, engineers and rocket scientists who brainstorm hundreds of ideas to create the most exciting age-appropriate and educational projects. These are real engineering, science, and art projects with high-quality materials, and you have to do exactly nothing. So it just lifts the burden off parents, which I always love, and you can focus on, you know, chilling out and enjoying the holidays. Discover hands-on fun with KiwiCo. Get your first month free free on any crate line at kiwico.com slash R-G-H. That is your first month free at K-I-W-I-C-O dot com slash R-G-H. This is the thing about gifts for family members, particularly grandparents. And, you know, anyone who loves your kids, but you really know that they're not, they just don't want like, the kind of present from you that's just generic. They want something thoughtful. And that is why Skylight, I'm sure you could guess, I was going to say Skylight Frames, is such a good holiday gift because you can give personal messages, pictures, just all the fun stuff that you want to share with grandma, for example. And you can put all these pictures into the frame already you can change it remotely. you can help your loved ones who live far away feel like they're super close to you. And let's just say they don't just scroll Instagram, or you don't want to put pictures of your kids on social media, but you want it to feel like there's, you know, pictures that you take that are getting out there to the people who love your kids. Boom, that's another good reason for Skylight frames. So as a special limited time offer for our listeners, get $15 dollars off your purchase of a skylight frame when you go to skylightframe.com slash humans to get $15 off your purchase of a skylight frame. Just go to skylightframe.com slash humans. That's S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T-F-R-A-M-E.com slash humans. So just wanted to go back to the space between, Mm. because I think that kind of you you talk about that i talk about that as well i think that if, without that i don't understand i guess that's how we got where we are but how can this space between be present what are the kinds of messages that you can tell yourself some of the activities that you can do like the wandering and the worry yeah. time that you can do to get yourself prepared for a space between these extremes of like i'm not going to I guess I'll just renounce all achievement, or I'm going to try to figure out how to do what matters to me, and also live in a world where I have to pay bills, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. Or go to college. I'm trying to think of things that are a little bit closer to home for like an adult, a parent of an adolescent. They're probably not as worried about long term career goals, but they're certainly their first career goal might be how do I get them to go to college but like not have that be the purpose and center of their educational experience.
0: Yeah, yeah. And how to prepare them for these moments that don't go your way.
1: Which are very likely.
0: All the time. You know, I think about this for my 11-year-old. She's very, like in a way that very much does not resemble me she is killing it in school. Like she is getting great grades. She is part of all these clubs. Like I was kind of more of an introvert, like and I was behind the scenes and I didn't get great grades. And she has kind of gone in like this other direction. that makes me really proud. But I also see sometimes that when things don't go her way, she is devastated by that, right? And part of my job as a parent is to prepare her for the fact that failure is part of the game, right? Because I don't want her to get so discouraged or irritated that she won't get back up in those moments mm-hmm. because there are, are going to be things that she really loves, but the path from here to there is going to be full of mistakes and full of setbacks. It's just inevitable, right? I, I think the, the chapter of the space between, it really comes to a principle called Upeka, and upeka is the art of finding comfort in the discomfort, Mm -hmm. right? So instead of trying to escape the pain, we're actually finding ways to give ourselves the comfort that we need inside these terribly uncomfortable situations. The person who first kind of brought upeka to me was my uncle, who I talk about in the book, who wore a turban. And he wore a turban in southeastern Michigan from you know the beginning of his time in the '60s to the United States, you know all the way through some really tough times, like right after 9/11, when if you were wearing a turban and somebody saw you, you know you could get injured. You could be harmed and it was happening all the time, but it didn't matter to him. Like what mattered to him was who he was and he wasn't going to change that. But for me as an Indian kid growing up in the United States, I, I kind of, I had really struggled with the color of my skin. I really struggled with my identity because I wanted to fit in. And so I would, you know, I would overwear Bruce Springsteen (laughs) t-shirts to school. I would sometimes cake baby powder on my face to make myself look more white so that I could fit in with the other kids. And there was this one time that my uncle took me to a golf range where, you know, he was an incredible golfer and he was teaching me how to play. And these kids from my school showed up and they saw me with this this guy who was wearing a turban, assumed it was my father and didn't matter what, he's my uncle. And and they started making fun of us, you know, hey, I didn't know Saddam Hussein was your father. Like, did you guys ride a camel here? All of that. And I remember my my irritation and my pain, like this anger inside of me, which mm. is growing and growing and growing. And my uncle, on the other hand, who I know was hearing all this, you know, he's just kind of like laying down one ball after the other. He's like, all right, all right here, here's what you want to do with your swing. Here's what you're going to do. And I remember being really stunned. Like, is this guy not hearing this? Is he not absorbing what people are saying about us? And finally, I'm like, listen, I want to go home. Like I, I I'm done. And the thing that he said to me is, look, you know, you can either run away from this or you can find ways to learn how to give yourself comfort and love in these situations. And I said, how, how do I, how, how am I supposed to do that in a moment like this? And he literally put two fingers on my heart and he said, go here, just go right here. Right. And that has never left me you know in these terrible moments and you know it could be it could be you know the experiences we have as a kid but these things will will continue to follow us it, it may not be necessarily like racial insults but it could be people cutting you off on the side of the road it could be really angry emails from coworkers these irritations and these triggers are everywhere as we know right the ability to find in the book what i call a home base a place where you can go in the middle of these moments will create the space that I think we know is where our freedom really lies, right? Because it's in that space where we can give ourselves some comfort, where we don't respond in ways that we would regret. We we have the love, we have the compassion for ourselves. And with that comes choices. And from exactly. those choices lie our freedom.
1: Exactly. So that is self-regulation. <laughs> self-regulation, yeah. <laughs> like a different way of saying it is just that that's like in that, Space, you get the freedom to decide how you're going to respond because you didn't just do what you wanted to do in that moment, which was probably rightfully pounce on people. I mean, yeah. the tricky part about that is the idea behind that when you're thinking about our, you know, our nervous system and how we're reacting versus responding is that there are times that a reaction is appropriate because your safety is at you know in if you're in danger totally you don't want a space between
0: if my kids are running out into the street yeah, you gr- there's no grab space them. between you exactly. grab them yeah you know it's interesting because i heard you and lori Gottlieb talking about this on the show and you know sometimes the the temptation is to sort of say hey what i'm trying to do is get rid of my anger mm-hmm. right and that's not what we're trying to do here, you know. But there's a saying, I think, a very powerful saying that came out of you know Eastern wisdom, which is, "May all parts be welcome," mm-hmm. right? And so you're not trying to shame or get rid of things. You're trying to learn how to manage these things, right? And ultimately, you know, for me, what that meant was when I was like researching people who were really good at this, all like Thich Nhat Hanh, you mm-hmm. know, Vietnamese Nobel Prize nominated monk, right, who said to his audiences, "I have a lot of anger." Inside of me right now, and his audiences are like, "What do you mean? Like you're you're this you're this peace loving monk? How could you have a lot of anger?" He's like, "No, no, no, I have a lot of anger. My job isn't necessarily to get rid of the explosives inside of me. It's to lengthen the wick, Mm -hmm. right? And every time you get angry, like you know, it's almost like the a a fuse is lit, right? Mm -hmm. And if that fuse is short." Then you're going to explode right away. Mm-hmm. But you can do little things to start to lengthen that wick. But what I love is like there's a flip side to it as well, which in these these situations where you have to act quickly. but there's also like situations where you can act kindly. So in those moments where you want to give somebody a compliment, Right. Or you want to say something nice to somebody. Sometimes we lengthen that wick when we should actually be shortening it. Right. Mm. Like when I part of what I do for a living is I go out and I study these leaders. And recently I I was spending a day with Ben and Jerry, you know, the, the founders of Ben and Jerry's ice cream. And I asked them, I said, Hey, like you've been at this for decades and you're these beloved leaders in your community and by your employees. Like, what is it? Like, what's the secret to it all? And one of the things they said to me is, we always like to catch people doing something right. Because so much of like business and even parenting, I think, is about catching people doing something wrong. But what if we were to flip that and to have this almost incredibly short fuse for kindness? Anytime we see somebody doing something right, don't wait or backlog it. Actually act on that. And then in these moments of anger, lengthen the fuse and start to create a little bit of that space in between.
1: And I mean with kids you want to catch them doing something right yeah. I and mean, we so often just intervene or do something when we're like, ah, "Bad it." Totally. <laughs> yeah. "Why are you doing that?" Yeah. But catching this, the good stuff is actually going to get more good stuff out of people. Totally. So the idea also with kids, what you were saying, I'm just translating it right back to parents and kids is just all feelings are welcome and all behaviors are not. And so if mm. you can welcome all those parts And kids know that and they're coming up into a world where they're not going to think, oh, I had a feeling and that feeling was bad. Hmm. Then they don't have to kind of put it away or get rid of it. It's just figuring out what to do with it and figuring out how to lengthen that wick. So I really love that that kind of thinking not only plays into the workforce or in your day-to-day adult life, but that. You have the opportunity with your children to like not reteach that later, but to wire it in now.
0: I'm trying, I'm <laughs> trying as hard as I can, you know, it's, it's, and I think the thing for me is like, how do I model it? Right. You know, and, and that's hard because, you know, as a father, I guess I, I've, I've sort of kind of grew up with this model of like wanting to be strong. Right. And, you know, having them sort of see me have my heart broken, you know, is, really really important and at the same time you know showing them sort of what i do with that right how do i how do i learn and how do i yeah. grow with that that's a process that i really want them to sort of feel like they're they're a part of you know i i um i started two companies that failed my older daughter saw me run for public office and lose and she you know she was out there knocking on doors with me and then got to be there on election night when the results came in and it wasn't me it wasn't the win and, you know, it was hard. Like, I remember that night so well because I, I, my heart was broken, but I knew like, th- th- just like anything else, there's something good. There's an opportunity that comes from every crisis. And in that moment, I knew what the opportunity was, was her. Yes. Because oh she was staring, because yes. she was staring, she was looking at me, she was studying me. What is he going to be like in those moments when he knows that he lost And so, yeah, I would hope to think that, like, you know, it's in these key moments, right? Because, like, so much of what I believed, I used to believe, is that I want her to see me win, Mm -hmm. right? Because if she can see me win, it's going to inspire her to want to win herself. There may be some truth to that, but I think what's equally important, if not more important, is her seeing me lose.
1: Hell yeah. Especially, like, in that moment, just imagining she grows up, she goes for something, she loses and she comes to you instead of trying to hide from you because she's ashamed. Instead, she's like, this is actually an expected part of the game. Totally. I mean, you wouldn't wish, you wouldn't have done it with the intention of losing in front of your child, but like what you just like gave her mountains of gold. Yeah. Like how many of our kids are growing up with the assumption that they're not allowed how many of us grew up thinking like, that's the part where I'm ashamed hmm. instead of thinking like, I've witnessed this before from my, my greatest hero yeah. and we move on. We like get sad, do our thing and move on. Yeah. I mean, that to me is like one of the greatest gifts you've probably given her.
0: Thank you. I mean, I'm, I'm like, I listen to your podcast because I'm still like trying to figure all Whenever. this out. Like, I mean, yeah, you're right there.
1: <laughs> <laughs> me too. This year, I am thankful for so many things. Here is a light one that I'm thankful for, Honey Love, because there is just something very unpleasant about getting all dressed up and then being in uncomfortable bras or shapewear. And that happens this time of year. But Honey Love has revolutionized the bra and shapewear game. And it is so comfortable. And also, I didn't believe that I could wear a a bra that didn't have underwire that lifts like it has underwire and it actually works. Honey Love's bras have supportive bonding, so it eliminates the need for underwire, but it has the lift. So you have to go to honeylove.com forward slash humans and shop their November sale and let them know that I sent you because they actually do ask. And just know that You can look great and feel comfortable all at the same time. Treat yourself to the best bras and shaper on the market and save up to 60% off site-wide at honeylove.com slash humans. It's this month only and the inventory is limited and the sale ends soon, so don't miss their best deals of the year. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them. Please support Raising Good Humans podcast and tell them we sent you. It's time to ditch the underwire for good. Thanks to honey love. Okay, really important to take a moment and I know nobody has time, but take a moment and order your copy or copies of the five principles of parenting, your essential guide to raising good humans by me, Dr. Lisa Pressman. Order them wherever you like to get your books. I of course would love for you to do local, but you know what? You can go to Amazon or Barnes and Noble, bookshop.com. This book is for you to have as a resource, whether you have an infant or a teen, this is kind of covering everything I could think of that I know you would need under one roof. And with the ways of looking at every parenting challenge that we didn't cover, but just you kind of start to become pretty fluent in it. Please order your copy of the five principles of parenting and DM me and let me know that you've done it. I am so honored and thrilled and excited for you to have it. It's coming. I also think you say something about the 85% rule. Yeah. And I think for parents, it's probably like a 75% rule. <laughs> <laughs> but can you talk about that a little bit?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think the, the myth is that we need maximum pressure in order to get great results. And it's just not true. You know, and there's plenty of science around this, but there's also great stories. And one of my favorites is Carl Lewis, Olympic sprinter, who was what the, the running world saw as a slow starter, meaning that in the first half of the race, he was always in the back half of the pack. Then it was very, very unusual for somebody who was in the back half of the pack to win a race but he would do it over and over again and they couldn't really figure out why why was he bucking this this rule this trend and a, a coach started to really study his behavior and what he kind of realized about Carl Lewis was that he was he was at 85% sort of pressure the entire race So whereas a lot of people would come out the gate with like maximum intensity and their jaws are clenched and their fists were clenched, they would run out of steam inevitably about halfway through, they would start to slow down. But Carl Lewis in those moments would start to whoosh by them one by one, right? And, you know, I think for all of us, and, you know, I think as parents as well, you know, there is this sort of notion of like how much pressure is really needed in order to be effective in a situation because it may be that you're actually bringing too much pressure to the yeah. situation, right? And in doing so, like you're not just affecting your stress and the stress of the people around you. you might actually be getting worse results, right? And so, and again, this is this has been proven out many times throughout all these different industries. One of the things I try to do now, one of I, I started public speaking after I started writing books. I go and speak in front of audiences, and I actually am pretty like I'm pretty. Like terrified of public speaking naturally, mm. right? It's just not something that I like. I have to get over this phobia, but I realized that I was trying to like o- overcompensate with like almost pumping myself up before these moments, right? Like almost gritting it out and sort of saying, Hey, I, like, I'm gonna like really crush this, mm-hmm. right? And I realized that that was like the wrong thing to do because I was bringing more pressure into a situation than it actually required. So what I started to do is go in the other direction. I took a page out of Carl Lewis's book and I started to ask myself, what does 85% look like in this case, Uh right? And what it really meant for me is that I started to kind of reduce my sort of need to get people to love me, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, like like I, I would love, it'd be great if they did, but I wasn't going to go out there and try to get people to love me. I was going to be who who I was and I was going to give, a, I was hopefully going to give a useful message, but I was going to let go of this part of me that sort of really needed the validation from them. By doing that, I could turn the volume down a little bit, not, not again, not to 0%. Right. It's not being careless, <laughs> but turn it down to 85%. I just found myself being able to breathe easier, being able to be more flexible and fluid on stage and ultimately like just get like way better outcomes from it.
1: I really love this idea of pronoia and Mm -hmm. I really think it is incredibly helpful for those of us who might have kids or be the kind of people who see the world in a way that feels like everybody's out to get me and I can't do this or... Maybe for whose the lenses are a little bit more pessimistic, less hopeful. So we're not looking for things that make you just think unicorns and bunnies, but totally. more like a realistic appraisal. And so I thought pronoia was so cool. I've never heard of that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, paranoia is this idea that the universe is out to get you, right? It's conspiring against you. Yeah. Pronoia is the opposite. Pronoia is this idea that in some way, everything that's happening to you is happening for you, right? Even if it's not happening that way in the short term, mm-hmm. right? And I think, you know, as we start to, you know, trace back our own lives, we will all be able to point to these moments that were just absolutely heartbreaking and, and like crushing in the moment. But if we zoom out, we start to see the past that they actually led to. Oftentimes I ask, you know, leaders, what was the most meaningful year of your entire career? And very rarely do they come back to me and say, oh, it was that year I got promoted. The
1: best year, right? Yeah, it was the
0: year that I really like had the best bottom line. It was like, no, this like completely crushed me, you know? And I was forced to figure something out. And from that, from those ashes, came something really beautiful. And again, this is not a new concept. The principle that I talk about in the book is the principle of kintsugi, and kintsugi is the art of golden repair so in 15th century japan you know a shogun dropped his mug and it shattered into hundreds of pieces and he was devastated it was his favorite it was his favorite mug and so he ended up having this shop repair it and they had stapled the pieces back together right? and he was like this is this, this is not look good at all so he gave it to another artist to figure something out and the artist put golden lacquer in between the pieces and sent it back. So it was very apparent that the, you know, the vessel had been broken, but it had this lacquer, this gold where the cracks were. And that ultimately is the idea of paranoia. You know, I mean, these things that you know, are so tough in these moments for us can lead us to very beautiful destinations. Uh, Rumi, you know, the, the, the great Sufi poet, said, the world is going to break your heart and break your heart and break your heart until one day, it's going to crack open and it's from this cracking open that you find love that you find strength you know for me i did everything i could to distance myself from eastern wisdom i mm-hmm. didn't want anything to do with things that sounded hindu or sounded like it was it was uh, eastern spirituality because i wanted to be american i wanted to be i wanted to be as white as possible when the world broke my heart over and over again and my heart eventually started to crack open what came from that was curiosity. And that curiosity is ultimately what led me back to Dharma.
1: You know, that's such a gorgeous story about, I mean, I hate to say that after you just said that you had gone through that kind of pain. And I guess a warning is like paranoia and these concepts and this beautiful story, which I think like describing the putting back together with the golds of the lacquer, yeah. incredible story. Not one you would tell while someone is suffering, like in that moment, because in the moment you have to go back to the feeling of the feelings. But then later, how incredible to be able to look back and help our kids find that part of the story, the beautiful loops of the story, because that to me is such a spectacular way to help see the world with meaning. But without, you know, I only say this because I could see someone telling that story while their child is sobbing Yeah and like just getting crushed. And totally. you don't want to be like, look at this. So it's not about silver linings. That's
0: right. So that's right. No, I think, I think may all parts be welcome, yeah. you know, and to feel, to feel these things. And I think, you know, I'm so glad you brought that up because sometimes when we rebound too quickly, we actually miss, I think the lacquer, we miss the golden mm. lacquer. So the idea is not to try to staple the pieces back together as soon as possible. It's to really actually take your time and to feel everything that you're feeling because I think from that is where the gold starts to emerge.
1: That I just love that so much. I re- and I think it's true, except for like, I'm sure there are moments and cases where I'm like, screw that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. Of course, yeah. <laughs> but I think it's so, it's really wonderful. And also just something to remember right now because I do think this particular time of year, like in another month, I just am seeing a lot of parents that are just, they're in for a really tough December because of just like school stuff. Yeah. And I can just see all of this being super helpful.
0: Oh, I mean, I'm, I'm so glad. I mean, I'm, I really mean that I am a huge fan of your show. Like oh, I, I, it's, you. I mean, we are like trying to figure this out as we go. Parenting. You know, it I guess it never really came with a manual to begin with, but it mm-hmm. seems more confusing now than ever before. There are so
1: many manuals now; it's like, uh,
0: yeah, wait, well, how many? May, yeah, which manual do I? But I think that what I love about your show is that you're curious about all these different modalities and ways of thinking. It like ultimately, what's the same, the same thing, which is, you know, how do we prepare our children for a, a you know, a full life? And yeah, I really am a fan of the way you go about doing it.
1: Thank you. The Lactation Network, TLN, is the largest national provider of insurance-covered lactation care delivered by international board-certified lactation consultants. They provide lactation support, including breast pump products and lactation consultations to families in need of care. This did not exist, to my knowledge, when I was breastfeeding, The Lactation Network provides support to parents throughout the duration of their prenatal to weaning journey. And it includes prenatal consultants, key to setting up families for success, and postpartum lactation consultants to help them meet their breastfeeding goals, whatever those may be. Here's how it works TLN will connect you with a local IBCLC for an in home, in office, or telehealth consultation and work through any feeding concerns. They deliver a custom care plan. You can have as many visits as you need. And it's completely covered by your insurance. If you choose to breastfeed in whatever form you choose, whether it's pumping, direct breastfeeding, a combination, whether you're mixing it with formula, it is hard and getting support is available and insurance covers it. So if you or someone you know is expecting or a new parent they deserve expert lactation care. Visit tln.care for more information and to check your coverage and schedule a consultation. It's so hard. This does not have to be something you do alone. Yeah. You know what you just made me realize, which is why I love doing this, is like each time you get like, you're like, oh my God, that's so interesting. I couldn't pinpoint this before, but I when I had to come up with like the most important core principles for raising good humans. Yeah. And we have all the science and everything that we can know plus obviously who you are culturally, emotionally, all the temperament that's personal and your values <laughs> is it's none of my business. But not yours, but like ones. Yeah. But the science I can I could deliver. And what I realized is like it really does boil down to these five things except these five things are in all of these different mm aspects of life. Like you could definitely just draw a line between my five and what you wrote about because, and I'm talking about it from the science, but it is also spiritual and is also wisdom and it's different modalities. And, but they all kind of go under these buckets because you find out we are all interconnected and we're all saying and feeling the same thing. It's just like how you're getting that message to yourself and others is just going to come out in different ways. But I do think it it really is ultimately we are part of the same part of message and the same cloth and the same everything. And it's just interesting because I do find this pattern where I'm like, oh, my God, I learned something from an, about another field or another religion or another, you know, just like type of person. And it's like how similar everything is once you boil it down.
0: There's a story in the book that I think really brings like what you're saying to an example, which is Swami Vivekananda, who was really kind of the first, you know, sort of one of the first Indians that came to the United States and began to speak at places like Harvard University and do do touring around sort of, you know, Hinduism. Mm -hmm. He happened to be at a show in New York with a French actress named Sarah Bernard and she thought he was very interesting and so she invited him to come backstage and the other person that he met backstage was Nikola Tesla who happened to also be in the audience and there was this conversation that the two of them had just alone one-on-one where it's like oh my gosh these guys are coming from two completely different different worlds right. right eastern mystic western scientist and yet they're in the same place in the same location and what ends up happening backstage in that theater Is that they start to converse and realize that their work had so many similarities. And that sparked this like, you know, over decade-long relationship between these two people who ultimately decided that, hey, like they're like everything that's happening in Eastern wisdom is finding this echo in the halls of Western science.
1: Totally. It's so cool. Yeah. It's really cool. I actually was like, oh, I wish I had known some of these ways of describing concepts before, you know, before I turn this puppy in. (laughs) (laughs) It's so funny.
0: I always think that whenever I read another book, I'm like, oh my gosh, they did it. They did it so nicely. What was I thinking?
1: No, but it's so nice. And it also means you do know what, like, whatever parenting worlds that you're in and we're all like raising our kids and we're trying to figure this out, but the answers are all here. And it's just like, I don't even know if sometimes people know that the answer and the questions and the curiosity is all they they have access to it like every everything in here to me you could pick a parenting challenge yeah and then and you'd respond to it with the, all of the tools that are in here you yeah. just might not like know that that's what you would say if somebody like didn't get the part in the play or they were getting bullied by a friend or or not a friend mm. or all the different things that might happen or if they're potty training, like all the different things, they yeah. really do come back to you still, you still have the answers.
0: You still have the answers. And I talk about this in the, in the final, in the final story in the book is the story of my daughter trying out for the dance team. And, you know, she is on her, Yeah, you know, picked her up from school. It was a day where she was going to go straight from school to this tryout. And I was expecting her to be like really, really pumped up about it, you know, and I'm waiting for her and she comes out of the school and her shoulders are slumped and she's like looking at the ground and like the energy is drained from her body. And I'm like, hey, she gets in the car and you could tell her she was just terrified. She was terrified to go to this trial because she was afraid that she wasn't going to make it. And I'm driving her, we're on the road now, and I'm looking at her through the rearview mirror and she's sharing this with me. And I'm just waiting for her to say, I don't want to do it. Because if she just said that in that moment, I literally you would have made her go. I would have U-turned the car. Because mm-hmm. at that moment, I wanted to do anything I could to alleviate what I was seeing from her. Mm-hmm. Right? that Right. The, the level of fear and, and it just like all my paternal instincts kicked in. But she never said that. And so I just continued to drive to the studio and we pull in. And I wasn't allowed to go into the studio and see her try out. So I'm literally waiting in the parking lot. And I'm trying, like before she leaves the car, I'm trying to find some wisdom. Like I literally just spent three years writing this book. <laughs> and of course, in this moment where my daughter needs me the most, I've got nothing. I yeah. cannot I cannot retrieve anything. So she gets out of the car and she walks into the studio and she's gone. And I just like, I remember the next like 20, 30 minutes being like just some of the most agonizing of you know, my life because I felt like I failed her. And then she comes out of the studio and she's completely lit up, you know? There's this like buoyancy to her and she's like, she's got a smile on her face. And I'm like, oh my god, she made the team. So she like gets in the car and I'm like, so you made it. And she's like, she's like, oh, I don't, I actually don't know. We don't, we don't find out for another few days. In that moment, she, you know, she was just experiencing inner success. Yeah. Right. She like went in there. She, she did it. She had fun with it. She tried out, right? She was probably with some other, some other kids. They, they mm-hmm. danced. Like she loves to dance. And in that moment, she was reminded that she just loved to dance, right? And, you know, that I think like, you know, even if, just we, even if I just published that story, like yeah. that is the summary of Dharma, right? Which is like job satisfaction, satisfaction in life, satisfaction with our kids. It doesn't just come from the achievements we make. It comes from the actions that we take.
1: And if you had said to her, said to her with your actions, your hard feelings right now are not comfortable for me, so I'm not going to make you go through this, she wouldn't have gotten to that other place. So it was like you were berating yourself maybe for not doing the right thing, but like you did give her the opportunity because you didn't pull over or do the U-turn or anything. So you didn't take away the... The experience.
0: Totally. I, I mean, I shudder to think now, what if I had, you know? And I, I think that that's, you talk about this a lot on the show and I, I really appreciate it, which is the ability to sit with it sometimes. These uncomfortable emotions that we want to escape, the ability to really just kind of like sit with it and also <laughs> let them kind of sit with it. Just be with them in those moments yeah. rather than trying to fix or pull it away. Just be there with them.
1: Just so hard. I know, I know, I (laughs) know. It's just so hard, but it is. I'm, I'm thinking that, yeah. Sometimes I'm like, I hate this. I remember taking my daughter to try out for SAB, which is the School of American Ballet in New York, and she was in second grade, and I knew she was not going to get in because I danced when I was little and I was so into it, but I was not built right for it, like flat feet and bad turnout, and I just was like worked really hard, and so I got good enough to. Stop getting you know I didn't get kicked out until I was 15 but I got kicked out hmm. and I knew looking at her arches just her arches I was like this kid they're gonna look at her lift up her leg look at her arches and they're gonna be like next no hmm. matter what because I she wasn't even trying out for any old dance school she like went from nothing to trying out for SAB because that was like the cool thing that everybody was trying to do hmm. and I really wanted to be like let's try for blah, 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 somewhere else. And I 100% knew this was going to be gut-wrenching and I let her go anyway and bit my tongue. And she, in fact, got very much rejected quickly. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like they sent her out right away Mm -hmm. and she was sobbing. And I was kicking myself because I was like, should I, was she too little for me to do something like that to her? Like she still talks about like how hard that was. But it was like one of those things where my, Maybe professional hat and my personal hat were like having an argument, yeah. and I couldn't figure out how to, you know, like I, sometimes I think, oh, I'm overconfident, Like I'm overdoing my like, you know, sit by her side, allow her to have the experience. And she knows that, like she's got a loving, supportive caregiver there, no matter what. But sometimes I wonder if it's a lot, you know, like sometimes I could just be like, you know what? <laughs> Let's just skip this, yeah, yeah, but I didn't. And I hope that it was one of those things that. In the long run, just taught her that she can get through something even really, really hard like that. But those are really gut wrenching moments. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Is she still doing ballet?
1: No, she never did it again. Yeah. 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 <laughs> we haven't found the, the glaze yet. <laughs> <laughs> it's coming. I one. promise yeah, it's yeah. coming. But I, uh, you know, I knew she shouldn't do that. that. That was a whole other thing was I was like, I know that this is not the right path. Yeah. But it's very hard to tell your children, like, I'm totally where I have the wisdom, I can save you all the trouble. Yeah. But you just, we gotta. We gotta go through it. Yeah, they gotta go through it.
0: I love <sighs> this. Thank you for thank having you Thank you so doing much. This. this is so great. I
1: know this is a little bit off parenting, but it's not at all to me.